I've always enjoyed listening to scary stories. Not like ghost stories or Dracula stuff, but stories about real things that actually went down. Scary stories about hairy situations. From HairyStories.com and STGB, I'm Matt G, and this is Harry. But it, uh, frankly, it's terrifying. <laughs> and then once you've been through one of those really hairy, bad missions, and people got, got killed out there every night. Somebody was getting killed out there. And uh, you had to go again the next night. That was the voice of retired U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Luke Graves. He was talking about flying night combat in the Vietnam War in 1969. He's going to help me tell this story about some hairy shit that went down over there. Colonel Graves is a fighter pilot who flew 177 combat sorties in North Vietnam and Northern Laos between 1968 and 1969. He flew the F-4D while serving in Wolfpack, the 8th Tactical Fighter Wing. His call sign was Killer. The overwhelming majority of us have never seen combat. I think it's hard for us to understand the raw fear that comes with putting your life on the line. The closest I've ever come is probably getting into a fist fight. And even then, most fights are spur-of-the-moment things. You don't really have time to think about it before it happens. The worst kind of fear I can think of is when you know something's coming. The kind of fear that hangs over you and constant dread of what might happen. The guys flying fighters in Vietnam actually had a pretty good idea of what might happen. They were losing more pilots in a single day than we've lost in the entire wars of Iraq 1, Iraq 2, and Afghanistan. And when they bailed out, their chances of a slow and painful death were quite high. They lived a more comfortable existence than the grunts on the ground, but the trade-off for that comfort was high. We're going to kick this off with a story about a hairy mission over the border of Vietnam and northern Laos. It was supposed to be a day mission, but it kept getting bumped because of rough thunderstorms. So it ended up being a night mission. I spent a lot of time talking to Colonel Graves about being a fighter pilot in Vietnam. He has a lot of great stories. Some of them are pretty funny, actually. But his demeanor changes when he talks about night combat. You can see it's something that shook him to his very core. Eighty thousand feet, three miles from our field, and there were thunderstorms everywhere in the target area on all the targets and rendezvous points and everywhere. I've never seen bad weather like that. Uh, 
really hot and then the rains came they're just storming down on us and just only as hard as it can rain in the tropics and so you haven't felt a hard rain and, and I'm from Florida I felt some hard rains before they weren't as hard as they hurt when they hit you and so we're hunkering down um, waiting and finally finally we got to go at about 11 o'clock takeoff time and we were already strung out and tired and we knew this was going to be you know a dangerous screwed up mission that everything had gone to hell and um, it was hot it was really hot you know in the high 90s might have been 100 degrees at night in the rain which is really a kind of you, you really got to be near the equator to feel something like that. And I'm out trying to pre-flight my aircraft and crawling around out there. And um, the water was up to my ankles um, on the ramp. So just to add some context to this, the pre-flight process for a combat mission starts way before the fighter pilots get into the plane. They need to go through mission planning, a briefing on other active operations, get suited out, do a pre-flight check on the airplane, etc. In short, if you have a mission planned for a 4 p.m. takeoff, you're going to get started around 11 a.m. If the mission gets bumped, you're going to have to go through several of these procedures again. It's what Colonel Graves charmingly refers to as the pre-flight dick dance. You have to remember, though, these guys weren't just waiting around in a lounge for a delayed flight. They're waiting to undertake a dangerous mission. I can only imagine the frustration of the waiting. In this case, the weather's getting worse, and now it's dark. The prospect of flying through thunderstorms at night is enough to send chills through the spine of any pilot. Add to that a dangerous mission over enemy territory, and it's downright hairy. So now it's 11 p.m. at night, and these guys are finally taxiing out. It's been about 12 hours since they started, and they haven't even taken off yet. And so in this mission, I was flying the F-4. I was a flight leader, and I was leading three aircraft, and we were to go uh, out and refuel in the air and then go to a target that was called the bird at the bird's head. And this is just where a river looked like the head of a bird when you look at it from the air. It was on the border of North Vietnam near a place called Mukia Pass very highly defended area with in that general area there were over 200 anti-aircraft uh, batteries and I'm talking about quad mounted uh, radar control 37 to 57 millimeter batteries some of them controlled by Russian fire directors okay and uh, so finally we got in I got in and um, we started up and um had to keep our canopies open and the crack at least because it would all fog up because of the condensation and the heat and, and all this kind of stuff. And so anyway, uh, I got it together. We started up and taxied out and it was, uh, the first time I, in my whole life, I ever really questioned. Uh, it just looked like this was senseless for us to go on this mission. So I called in the Wolfpack and I knew who was sitting there, Colonel Slade Nash. Later on, General Slade Nash, and I said, uh, confirm that killer flight is scheduled to go. 
There's a little pause, and you know, like he uh, came back and said, "You're go." Like you know, why did you ask? Just one of those things that everything was kind of against you, and you had this kind of sense of dread that you know, boy, this is one screwed up mission, and we're we're way late, and uh, this is uh, you know kind of an anonymous deal. You know, had a very bad feeling before he even taxi, you know, before you got out to the edge of the room. Wind of one one zero three, clear for takeoff. Take a minute to marvel at the ingenuity of human flight. I'm one of those people who find it amazing that we've actually invented machines that can fly through the air. For the guys flying combat in the Vietnam War, the marvelous part of flying was an afterthought. They had to contend with a myriad of variables, including being hunted from the ground. From the start of its combat operations in Southeast Asia, the U.S. Air Force was faced with a number of adverse conditions, including a rainforest jungle environment, inclement weather conditions which could change from bad to worse within an hour, or even minutes. And besides these natural obstacles, the enemy made an all-out effort to impose restrictions of his own. Before we get back to our mission, let's do a quick vocabulary check. Fighter pilot jargon can be complicated, even though Colonel Graves tried to dumb it down for a civilian like me. You'll hear him referring to something called invert. This is the call sign of the ground control radar directing flights in the combat zone. You'll also hear him talk about Cherry Anchor. That's the call sign for a large refueling airplane like a KC-135 that operates as an airborne gas station. On longer missions, the fighters needed to connect with these tanker aircraft to get a refill via a boom sticking out of the back of the tanker in order to have enough gas to complete the mission. The General Electric J-79 turbojet engines power the F-4 to a top airspeed of Mach 2.2. If the F-4 was needed for an extended combat air patrol, fighter escort, or close air support mission, refueling from KC-135 tankers was necessary. And so finally, after all this duty, we get on the runway and we're clever takeoff. So uh, took off, flight three, and immediately I was facing a long line of thunderstorms. I was wanting to go north, but I had to go due west, paralleling this line of thunderstorms. I had to see if I could get around it to, to get up to where I was going. And um, I continued about 90 miles down there and realized that uh, we're going to have to penetrate these thunderstorms. And so I put my wingman in three-mile radar trail, and we started punching through this line of thunderstorms, and they were some really big monsters, a lot of heavy, hard cells on them and stuff. But we slipped our way through there, and I got up to where I was going, and I call it that control center, which is invert, the ground radar. It was controlling everything for 100 miles in all directions. And uh, said, uh, you know, invert, this is killer lead, uh, questing a vector to Cherry Anchor. Now, Cherry Anchor being my uh, airborne tanker that was going to refuel at, we had three anchor cherry, peach, and lemon that we normally refueled on, 
and those are about 100 miles apart each. So Invert came back, kind of abashed it, and said, well, uh, Killer Lead, we have had to, because of the weather situation, move the three tanker anchors back behind that line of thunderstorms you just came to in a relatively small area. And um, so they're all in there commingled. So you're going to have to go back to that line of thunderstorms and use extreme caution because of the crowding in that area. I thought, well, what the hell? You know, can I can't believe this. So anyway, we turn around, and here we go again, back to that damn line of thunderstorms. And this is pretty damn dangerous. If you have a bonded skin, if you get a lightning strike, it can take you out. There's a reason flights get delayed by thunderstorms. Apart from the heavy turbulence and low visibility, airplanes are an easy target for lightning strikes. Modern aircraft are well equipped to deal with lightning, but the F-4 has a bonded skin. So a lightning strike will be absorbed rather than reflected, which makes for a much more violent experience, including possible loss of instruments. If you lose flight instruments at night in the weather, well, to put it lightly, it wouldn't be a good situation. Let's get back to our mission. Killer Flight of Three finally took off and had to penetrate a big line of thunderstorms to get to the refueling tanker, only to find that it had moved back, so they had to fly again through the same line of dangerous thunderstorms to get back to the tanker. So, anyway, uh, we get through there, and uh, we're really ready to get going now, so I... Um, we came up on the tanker frequency, and I checked in, tried to check on the cherry anchor. And as I got on the frequency, cherry, peach, and lemon, all three of these tankers were jammed up in this little area. And they were arguing about what altitude they should be on. They were like, no, I should be at 20,000. No, you should be at 24,000. And so the idea, you know, it was not just me. There are many other attack flights that are going to be coming in there refueling all at the same time. <clears throat> so this is a dangerous situation. And uh, so anyway, I checked in with them, and I did a very rapid maneuver coming in to, to join up, which watered everybody's eyes. But I know how to do that, and so I got us in there and to get on and get our fuel. And uh, so immediately we're in formation with the tanker now, and I went to the pre-contact position, which is just short of where they put the boom in you. And uh, he's having to uh, roll right and roll left, 20 and 30 degree banks, uh, getting around these thunderstorms. And uh, that may sound difficult, but if you're a good formation pilot like all of us were, it was, you know, hey, this is kind of fun. So anyway, I got in there, got on the boom, got my 5,000 pounds of gas. That made me absolutely uh, maximum gross weight. I had 11 500-pound bombs, an ECM pod, two full drop tanks, and now I have been topped off, and it's a heavy mother. And so I moved back to the pre-contact position, and just about that time, this dumb son of a bitch who was flying a tanker took us into a thunderstorm, okay? So at that point, um, it was a very dangerous situation, and I had to call what's called Lost Wingman. Okay, 
This is getting hairy. Let's do a quick little exercise to keep it real. Imagine yourself driving a heavy car with a full tank of gas at speed on a busy highway in a rainstorm. You're in the center lane and two friends in similar cars are in the left and right lanes to either side of you. Directly in front of you, there's a huge 18-wheeler fuel truck and you're tailgating him very closely. There's other traffic all around you and you're all driving very fast. Now on the count of three, all of you, including the truck driver, have to close your eyes. Killer lost wingman. So my wingman knew right what to do. When you do that, one goes left, one goes right, one goes straight ahead. So you don't run together in the clouds. But I had nowhere to go, so I rolled my F4 upside down while in a thunderstorm on the instruments. And my backseater, Jimbo, who was fearless, he said, Luke, what are we doing? I said, stay with me, Jimbo. And so I'm upside down, bouncing all around, just getting separation from the tanker. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention in our little exercise that flight includes a third dimension, up and down. Killer lead was just below the tanker when they hit the storm. He can't go left can't go right and he can't go up so he keeps going straight and rolls the plane upside down this way he can pull into a dive without smashing into the tanker i finally rolled out and uh but that was you know like what next this is crazy and so pretty soon we uh popped out of a thunderstorm and we looked around, and I was about 2,000 feet below him, I guess, by that time. And so we just slammed back. Like I said, let's get back on this tanker. we got business, you know. So we got up there, and as soon as we did, I just said, three, turn on your radar. Now, everybody, the tanker guys and my fighter pilots, everybody knew what I meant when I said that. It was like, hey you drag us into a thunderstorm. You're not supposed to have your radar on. When you're on a tanker, you know, you're irradiating a powerful radar, and I think it's loaded with gas. So, you know, you're not supposed to have your radar on when you're on the tanker refueling, but basically I told number three to turn his radar on and to hell with everybody because we didn't want to go into a thunderstorm again while we're all up close together. So, anyway, uh, we got our gas. And I started to say something to him, you know, like, you know, but I didn't. Uh, I said, thanks, okay, we're out of here. And so now I've put us together in trail again, and what have we got to do? We've got to go back to that goddamn line of thunderstorms, which I was so sick of. And so here we go, heading towards our target area. We're now 14 hours into this mission and it's time to hit the target on the next episode of Harry. And uh, I was just amazed at the amount of lightning that was going on. Uh, 
it was just flicking constantly, flick, flick. And you could see, you could see everything. You could see each other. And the gunners could see us. And so they cut loose. And it was a volume of fire like I've never seen. I thought, man. Harry is an original six-episode series by HarryStories.com and STGB. 100% of donations to this podcast will go straight to the Air Warrior Courage Foundation, providing emergency financial assistance to veterans in need. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and write us a positive review. The theme music is Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata by L'Orchestre Cinematique. Cover art by Florence Denise. Source material in this episode included Ambience Creepy Wind by Inspector and sound clips from Military Films, Inc., Vietnam Phantoms of the Sky. Thank you for listening to Harry.